We're at the last sermon in this little mini-series in uh, Luke's Gospel. And I almost gave this sermon the title, How to Love Jesus More. But if you know internet slang and lingo, you've heard the term clickbait. You'll see a headline. This man drank water. You can't believe what happened next. That's a clickbait title. It felt like How to Love Jesus More was a little bit of a clickbait title for a sermon. <laughs> but I really want to, uh, I think the, the key is, as I'll mention, the question that comes in verse 49. Who is this? Who is this man, Jesus? And so that's what we will consider this morning as we finish this sermon series. We're going to look at verses 36 through 50. The incident in Simon the Pharisee's house with the woman off the street and her behavior with Jesus. So let me read that for us. Again, reminding us all that this is the very word of the living God. Luke 7, 36 to the end of the chapter. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who... And what sort of woman this is who is touching him? For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, Which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So ends the reading of God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Again, may he write it upon our hearts this morning. May it bear fruit in our lives. Let's, as we come before the Lord's word, let's go before him in prayer. Our God and Father, we ask again your blessing this time as we come before your word. Bless this time. 
Bless your word as it goes out. Fulfill the promise you have made that it goes out and does not return to you void. Instead, fulfill the other promise that it is successful in the things for which you send it. Father, we ask for ourselves that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us to open our eyes to see and our ears to hear what you have to teach us this morning. And in doing so, may you make your word a lamp to our feet and a light to our path that we might walk according to all that it teaches us. Father, all this we ask in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Well, here we've been in this series on the Word made flesh, how Luke shows us the Word made flesh in Jesus. And this is what I've really been building to in this series because this is what I think Luke has been building to. This section, and in particular, as I mentioned, verse... 49. Who is this? Who is this who even forgives sins? Who is this Jesus? Who is this teacher, this rabbi? Who is this man who forgives sins? Only God can forgive sins. Not a priest, not a Levite, not a rabbi. Only God. Who is this man who forgives sins? Well, again, in this series, we haven't gone through every passage, haven't looked at every exegetical point that could be made. I've been concentrating on almost like another character in, in Luke's gospel, the Word. It's almost as if he puts the Word in there as another character in the, in the stories that he's telling. And in doing so, showing us Jesus as the Word made flesh taking the same concept that opens John's gospel so poetically in words and showing it, us, showing it to us in the actions of Jesus and the reactions of people to the Word. I said the Word is compelling. It compels a response. And we've seen the responses of people to the Word like Zechariah and Mary, the shepherds at Jesus' birth, Simeon and Anna, the teachers in the temple when Jesus was twelve, And this repeated way of Luke has of telling us when Jesus does something, how amazed and how astonished the crowds are, the people around him. Also talked about how the word comes with power, and we've seen it come with power. A virgin giving birth. The word resisting temptation. The word healing those who are sick. Casting out demons cleansing a leper, healing a paralyzed man, and even raising a dead man to life, merely by speaking the command, arise, the dead come to life. Talked about how the word reveals truth. Satan tried to twist the word into lies when he tempted Jesus, and Jesus revealed truth to him. His first sermon in Nazareth, in the synagogue, he spoke truth. Comes to reveal the good news of the kingdom of God. It comes to call sinners to repentance. And as we spent time in chapter 6, it shows believers how to live, how to follow him with love, with compassion, and with humility instead of a judgmental attitude. So by now, as as readers of Luke's Gospel, when we see this question asked in verse 49, we know the answer. And that was part of what 
I think Luke has been trying to show us in all these stories about Jesus. Who is this who even forgives sins? Well, he's been showing us for seven chapters. This is the Word of God incarnate, made flesh, dwelling among us. And in this last story that we're going to look at, we see three reactions to Jesus. We see a Pharisee who doubts and judges, a sinful woman who believes, and then the crowd asking a question on behalf of of the reader. It's a great literary device to use crowds as commentary. Who is this? Who is this man? So I want to go through the story real quick and then examine each reaction. So Simon, a Pharisee, invites Jesus to dinner. For some reason, it kind of reminds me of that movie, Guess Who Came to Dinner, or Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Unexpected things happen when an unexpected guest, an unusual guest, is invited to dinner at the the parents' home. A movie about uh, race relationships. Here, this is about holiness. A holy man is about to come to dinner and things are about to get pretty serious. It seems strange to us maybe that a man would give a dinner in his house and people just wander in off the street, but that's how things were done, especially for those who were more wealthy in that era. The, the houses were s- s- built as kind of a, an open uh, plan. There was a courtyard that was accessible usually from the street. And when a great feast was given in that courtyard, the gates are left open, and anybody can kind of wander in and out. The, the invited guests recline at the table, you know, that Greek way of leaning up against the table with their feet out behind them. You've seen it in paintings, I'm sure. But anybody could kind of wander in and out. It would be almost the equivalent of today if you had a, a, a picnic in your front yard and just kind of invited anybody to come on by and join the fun. So this woman shows up, woman from the city. She's got a flask, an alabaster flask of ointment. She's crying, tears, and washes Jesus' feet with those tears, kisses his feet, her hair unbound, anoints his feet with that precious ointment. She's a sinner, and we'll get to that later. But people know she's a sinner, and Simon the Pharisee knows she's a sinner. He's offended by her presence. He's offended by her actions. And in so doing, judges Jesus. Note that he speaks to himself. In verse 39, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who this woman is, and so on. But Jesus knows his thoughts. It's not said explicitly here. It's said enough in the other Gospels, and of course we know to be true. Jesus knows the thoughts and the heart of those who are around him. So answers the Pharisee with a parable. Asks him, which one loves more? The one whose debt was 500 denarii? Almost two years worth of wages? Or the one whose debt was 50. And note how the Pharisee kind of hedges a little bit. 
Well, I suppose, <laughs> I suppose it was the one who had more forgiven. And so Jesus confronts the Pharisee very pointedly. It's very much reminiscent to me of Nathan before David. You are that man. In this case, you are the man who is, or thinks, that he's been forgiven little. But here is a woman who's been forgiven much. Do you see this woman, Jesus says to him? Of course he saw her physically. He noted her presence and he was vexed by it. But Jesus isn't asking if he sees the woman. He's asking, have you considered her? Have you really looked at who she is? Have you really considered why she's here and what she's doing? This woman has been forgiven much. The Pharisee who thinks he has little to ask forgiveness for, therefore has little love and has engaged in no hospitality. Jesus pronounces the woman's sins forgiven. I don't think it's the first time that he said that. Again, more later when I get to her response. But then he dismisses her with a blessing. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Meanwhile, those at table who've seen all this happen mutter and wonder among themselves, who is this? Who is this who even forgives sins? Who is this? So let's look at those reactions. First, I want to look at the Pharisee. Simon the Pharisee. We can see from the story that Simon didn't invite Jesus to his house as an act of hospitality. He would have offered him water. He would have anointed his head. He would have washed his feet and given him a kiss of greeting. He did none of that. So why invite him? Well, I, I think it's to judge, because that's who he is. That's what he does. In a passage we did not look at in chapter 6, there's a story of Jesus healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. The man just stretches out his hand, and as he stretches it out, it's healed. And the, those around him, the Pharisees, the scribes, it says in verse 11, are filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So I think this Pharisee is part of that party, or is at least sympathetic to them. He's invited Jesus to his house to figure out who he is. I know righteousness. I know the law. I know what it looks like when someone is a true follower of God. He's heard about Jesus. All the surrounding country has. Lucas told us that more than once. So he wants to see this Jesus and judge for himself. It's a very self-indulgent, very self-motivated invitation. He's going to judge Jesus for himself, who this man is, and then bless all those around him with his critics' judgment. Thumbs up, thumbs down. It's almost like he's looking for a reason to disapprove this rival teacher. Certainly not part of the sanctioned official religion and official teachers of that religion. We talk about this in lending. 
every loan request that comes to us, you can always find a reason to say no. You can always find a weakness. There are people like that. This Pharisee is one of them in a religious sense. He's looking for a sin. He's looking for a weakness. He's looking for a reason to judge. You can always find it. You can always find it. Except with one person. And so the Pharisee is about to make an egregious error. Here is this teacher, this Jesus, this Nazarene, consorting with a sinful woman. We know she's a sinner, and probably a very egregious sinner. There's little hints in the story. In Jesus' story, the parable, she's the one with the big debt. (laughs) She's the one with the huge debt. That implies that she's the huge sinner. But verse 37 also tells us she's a woman of the city. That's a phrase that You know, she's from that part of town kind of thing. She's let her hair down in public. A a huge faux pas. A huge mistake in this culture. Uh, A woman who let her hair down in public, according to Jewish uh, tradition, uh, a man had a right to divorce her for doing such a thing. It was so scandalous, so, so wrong, so immoral. Nevertheless, she's got the money to afford an alabaster jar of ointment. And that leads most commentators to speculate that she was probably a prostitute. We don't know for sure, but that's a pretty reasonable, likely speculation. And again, her her behavior is scandalous. When the Pharisee says to himself, Uh, If he was a prophet, he would know who is touching him. That word touching is the same word used in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to talk about sexual immorality. The touching is, it's wrong. It's too intimate. It's too familiar. And so the Pharisee, oh no, look away, look away. Avert my eyes. Avert my eyes. Scandaloso. So the Pharisee sits in easy judgment. Who is this Jesus? Well, he must be a false prophet. He's an imposter, and he can't be righteous to associate with these kinds of people. What do we make of the Pharisee? I go back to chapter 6, verse 24 and following. He's rich. Woe to him. He's got his consolation in this world. He's full. He's going to be hungry. No doubt he laughs, and no doubt he's spoken well of by those around him. Here's a man whose future is filled with mourning and weeping. Woe to this man. Woe to this Pharisee. Because biblically speaking, he is a fool. An utter fool. He's got a log in his eye and presumes to see a speck in the woman's eye and Jesus' eye. He presumes to see sin in Jesus, the Holy One, the Son of God, the Word made flesh. Confronted by his own sin, his own judgmentalism, in Jesus' parable, in his teaching, he does not react like David. I have sinned. In fact, we hear no more about him. 
He's gone. How tragic for this Simon the Pharisee. Woe to him. He's a fool. He's presumed much. Thinks he has little for which to seek forgiveness. And so love is a little. And he's so like so many people today who think they are righteous, but instead are headed to judgment and eternal torment. Right? There are people out there who presume to judge Jesus. That's not how my God would do things. That's not how my Savior would do things. Jesus didn't really teach that. What he really meant was X, Y, Z, my own personal preference. That's just as bad as this Pharisee in this story. Utter folly and sure disaster. Presume to invent their own religion and then judge God by it. That's sad. That's tragic. Woe to them. And we're surrounded by these kinds of people in Orange County. If you've ever tried to do door-to-door evangelism in Orange County, it is brutal. Because virtually every door you knock on will be answered by a person who believes in God and thinks they are a Christian. But they never darken the door of a church. They never open their Bible. And they wouldn't be able to answer the simplest thing about the truths of Scripture or even what salvation is. Woe to them. Their only consolation is in this life. What's the answer for these kinds of people? Well, the answer, the answer is in the woman. This woman of the city. She knows who Jesus says. A woman of the city. I like the way Luke introduces this. Behold. It's the same behold you see elsewhere in Scripture. Look how amazing this is. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at table came in and brought this flask and did all these things. She knows who Jesus is. And evidently, he's already encountered her and already forgiven her sin. Why do I say that? Because it fits the story he tells. She's the one who has been forgiven much. She's the one who has been forgiven much. He who is forgiven little loves little, says Jesus in verse 47, which implies that she has been forgiven much, and that's why she loves much. She laments her sin. She knows her own sin. And she's filled with love and gratitude for the mercy and forgiveness of God in Jesus. That's why she does what she does. That's why she's so extravagant in her behavior. It's personally humiliating public behavior. She doesn't care. She does not care. Her eyes are on Jesus, not, around, not on those around her and what they think of her. That's again an echo of Jesus' teaching in chapter 6. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you. She wasn't invited. And revile you and spurn your name as evil. 622. 
She knows she has been blessed because she knows the greatness of her sin and she knows how much she has been forgiven. Simon the Pharisee never got this, but she did. And that's powerful. She loves Jesus, therefore, extravagantly. Because she knows the extravagance of her own sin and the extravagance of God's forgiveness to her. We don't talk that way often enough about the extravagant, profligate grace of God toward us. Spendthrift, almost. So again, the title I almost used, How Do You Love Jesus More? Well, it's simple, really. Know and learn and understand the depth and the sinfulness of your own sin. And with that... (laughs) the greatness of God's forgiveness of that sin. Who loves more? The one who's been forgiven five denarii, 50 denarii in debt, or the one who's been forgiven 500? You don't have to suppose anything. The answer is clear. The one who loves more is the one who's got the greater debt. The more you and I understand how great a sinner we are, well, then there's more love for Jesus, more love for God, a deeper understanding of how great, how rich in mercy he has been toward us, what a great love he has loved us with. Paul does not use phrases like that willy-nilly. He means every word. He has been rich in mercy toward us. He has loved us with a great love. And when he prays for the Ephesians that they would know the height and the depth and the length and the width of the love of God for his people. This is what he's talking about. Our sin is so offensive to God. Far more offensive than the behavior of this woman in front of this Pharisee. And yet he has forgiven it. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Want to love Jesus more? Study your sin. Know your sin. Admit your sin. Not to be morose or guilt-ridden. We're not playing at being Roman Catholics here. I'm not going to set up a confessional and have people show up. That's not what this is about. But we do come to public worship and confess our sin. Why? Again, not for tradition or, or a rote habit that we go through every week, but so that every week we can look ourselves in the face and, so, and, and be reminded I've been forgiven of this. That's how much God loves me. That's how much God loves you. That is powerful. What do the people around us need to hear? They need to hear and understand the depth of their own sin. Not in a judgmental way. We come across that way far too often. And I think because not often enough, Do we come alongside them and say, I'm just like you. I'm just like you. Here's what Jesus did for me. Here's the sins he forgave in me. If he can do that for me, he can do it for you. Come, repent, believe. Just as a side note, I think this works in relationships too. We love to criticize one another and put each other down. The ninth commandment that we recited earlier. 
But think about it. If the other party really understands how they have offended you, what is the best thing you can do for them? Forgive them. They'll love you forever. Husbands, wives, learn this. You want to make your husband love you more? He's got to understand his sin. Forgive him? Oh, he'll love you more than whatever you wear, whatever you cook, whatever you do. Forgive him. We're men, we're jerks, we know it. We're idiots. Forgive us. We'll love you forever. And women, it goes the same way the other way around. It goes for friends, it goes for family, it goes for co-workers. Well, the third reaction, the others at the table in verse 49, the narrative bystanders asking the question that every single person needs to ask, but that Luke has already provided the answer for in the prior chapters of his gospel. Who is this man who forgives sins? Who is this Jesus? Well, we know. We know if we've been reading. We know if we've been studying. We know if we've been paying attention to what Luke has been showing us. This man is the Word. This man is the Word, God's Word, God in the flesh. As such, does he have authority to forgive sins? Oh, absolutely. He's God. He's already told us that he came for the purpose of calling sinners to repentance. And he told the crowd who were pressing him to stay in their town and not move on that he had to go and preach to other towns because he came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. The word of God came. The word of God is Jesus. And he did live. And he did walk among us. And he did eventually die as a substitute to pay the penalty, the sacrifice the sins of all who believe in him. That word rose again from death. The word that said, arise to the dead man, rose itself from death. Again, <laughs> that's power. That is power. And the word lives today. And the message of the word has been handed down to us. And this is our privilege and our task. That through us, Jesus calls those around us to know their sin, to acknowledge their sin, and the greatness of their sin, and the consequences of their sin, and to repent, and to hear the amazing, rich, wonderful word of forgiveness that is theirs and that is ours when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And in that way can know what it is to be truly loved. This woman loved Jesus. Want to know what it is to be loved? Come to Jesus. Love him. And be loved in return. Let's pray. God and Father, we do thank you for the great love with which you have loved us and the rich mercy that you have shown to us in Jesus Christ. And we do pray with Paul, according to your word, that you would reveal to us the height and the depth and the width and the length of the love that you have for us.
the love that you, are sh- that you have showered out upon us in and through Jesus Christ, our Savior, the love that is seen and understood through your word, the love that is seen and understood as we interact with each other, perform acts of love for one another and for those around us. And so we ask again that you would make us vessels of that love to others around us, that they would truly see in us that we do love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, unashamedly, openly, and that we do love our neighbor as ourselves with compassion, with humility, without judging, serving with, and in the manner of Christ who came to serve and not to be served. May we be like that as well. We cannot do it in our own strength. We cannot do it in our own goodness. We need your word and your spirit to lead us and guide us. Forgive us when we fail in our acts of love. Forgive us when we fail and we judge. Forgive us when we fail and sin. Lift us up. Set us on our feet. And set us on the path that you have called us to, to be your disciples, your ambassadors, to go out and make disciples of the nations, teaching them all that you have commanded us. May we find joy and much fruit in that endeavor. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.